0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: At the door, it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, but all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so uh, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There shall be two in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be grinding at the mill, but one shall be taken and the other left. And watch therefore, for ye you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if a good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give meat? To give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants at the eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he knoweth not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware of, him, and shall cut him asunder, and him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who we'll are reading that point? I know all of you have played hide and seek, and the guy who is doing the Seeking has to go to a tree or the side of the house and cover his eyes and count to a hundred. And then he says, ready or not, here I come. And he goes looking. In essence, that's what Jesus is saying through the parables that he gives and the explanation that he makes to them. Whether you're ready or whether you're not ready, when the time comes for the Lord's return, he's coming. And whatever man's situation is at that point in time, that's what it will be. If you're not ready, you're going to get caught, is the point. Now, he gives a parable in, uh, in this particular passage of Scripture. He says, learn a parable about the fig tree. When his branches yet tender and he puts forth leaves, you know that summer's nigh. There's not a lot of us, but what knows that spring's right around the corner. I've already seen the evidence of it. The willow trees are out, small leaf. The uh, peepers are already peeping. I heard them up at uh, Scott High when I was walking around the track there, and I just at dark." None of you were there. You'd done done. You walking before dark. I was walking there right at dark. And they were just peeping away. And I've learned over the years, when I hear those, they're going to be looking through, as my grandfather said, they're going to be looking through glass before spring gets here. But I know that the signs are pointing to the plain spring. Tulips are up prematurely at this point it would seem to me. But we know some things are about to happen. We as Christian people are capable of perceiving that we can read the signs and know that something is about to take place. The world can't read the signs. The newspaper is full of things that are now beginning to happen. The breakdown of the communist rule in many countries is in the news. The reunification of Germany is in the works now that the wall has been torn down. And one of those leaders in Eastern Germany says if we have to join I forget now what group it was uh, we're not going to reunite Germany well it's foolish because Germany will be reunited there's talk in the papers there's going to be 16 nations that are going to join together in that block of nations that's foolish we know that the Bible says there's going to be 10 we can read the signs we know that all of these things that are beginning to happen are escalating. And the time is quickly coming that we're going to see the beginning of the end. And the first thing will be the rapture of the church, and then the seven years of the tremendous tribulation, and then the thousand-year rule of reign. The unsaved cannot interpret things. The Bible says that there's going to be earthquakes in many places. It doesn't take a very smart person to know that the earthquake uh, affair in this world is greatly increasing. And very likely, before your life or mine is over, there will be an earthquake that will shake California place and part of it will slide off into the Pacific Ocean. Was it just sets on a shelf? You're going to see that we But not only there, there are faults that they are finding in the earth that they never knew existed before. They're coming to light and there's going to be continual earthquakes. We even have faults here in West Virginia one just outside of Parkersburg that I've been on a number of times in other places, when we're going to be devastated with earthquakes, and the Bible says that will happen, the number of airplane uh, disasters is greatly on the increase, and I would have to concede that some of that might very well be due to the fact that there are more airplanes in the air. But listen, the safety factors that we have built on them now ought to be telling us that that's a safe way to travel, but it's not a very safe way to travel. Great numbers of people are, are dying with airplanes falling apart. And, I mean, what I'm saying is we are seeing catastrophe after catastrophe in this world. Famines in some places unbelievable, particularly in Africa. These are signs of the time. It's all in the Bible. One thing we can be absolutely certain of, that what God says in his word is true. There has never been a fallacy. Now, I will concede. But there are differences in the way some men have translated God's word. And that there are some differences between the King James and the Living Bible, the Good News Bible, and the Moffat's translation, J.B. Phillips' translation, and on and on and on we can go, some differences in the wording. That doesn't change what God said one hour or two. The original statement of God stands as he made it, even if man comes along and misinterprets or misunderstands or deliberately changes some particular phrase in the Bible to make it say something that uh, God never intended it to say. God's word is still there. We haven't changed it. That's where I got myself in trouble several weeks back months back and saying that this isn't god's word that was a total misrepresentation of what i was saying this is a translation of what god said and it was written in 1611 that i read from and i'm getting to the point that i can understand half of it because it's language i don't know i don't use and our kids are going to become less and less capable of reading the King James we're going to have to have it in a language that will be understandable I used to have a Bible that was an English Bible just prior to King James written by Tyndale and you know I couldn't read it it was English but I couldn't read it I didn't know the words I heard a preacher say on the radio the other day that God gave us the King James Version and expected it to be used Oh, how? where do you find the evidence of that? Where does it say in the Bible that God translated the Bible of King James Flexlow by using? Is there? There's got to be a foundation for our statements, and when we go off half-taught, such as he was. I was reminded when I heard that statement on the radio last Sunday night, traveling from here to home after the service, I thought of that statement that somebody says, it's better to keep your mouth shut and make people yell at your students than to open it and remove all doubt. God's word has not changed. It will not change. But Jesus said, as you see things begin to take place, you can be assured that the time is approaching as well as we can interpret uh, spring coming, we can know that the end of time is coming as well. Suppose, well, let me make one of the statements first. I may touch it. Notice, if you will, in the 36th verse, after he has said that you can read the signs and know that the time is near, he says in verse 36 But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Suppose you knew tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. the Lord would come back for his church. That's the time appointed. What difference would it make to your life and mine? I tell you, I think I would be getting things straightened up. I think I'd spend a lot of that time on my knees making sure that all of my sins were forgiven. I think I would do lots of things of that nature and probably spend the most of it in this building. I don't know what you would do. But I also suspect that there are lots of people who are not prepared for that event that would wait until uh, 749, 759, and then jump, hopefully, and land in the kingdom. Gambling that they are going to use all of that time to do whatever they want to do, to live it out, and at the last moment jump into the kingdom. Now there's a couple of problems with that. You might miscalculate the time. And your watch may not be exactly set with God's time schedule. The other problem is that not one of us has a guarantee that we will make it until 8 a.m. In the morning? <clears throat> and if we gamble on that time frame, we may lose. And I've talked to lots of people who somehow seem to think that they're never going to die. Because they will put off and put off and put off making that decision. Jesus, in the book of Luke, in the 12th chapter, gave us the story of the rich farmer who had all kinds of wealth and grain and so on, and his barns were full. And he said to himself, So, take your ease. Enjoy life. You've got much goods laid up for years to come. you got money in the bank. you got plenty to see you through. And then it goes on to say, and the Lord said, you're a fool. Because tonight, your soul's is going to be required. He never made it to 8 a.m. His time was up tonight. that nobody knows the time that the Lord is going to come. Not even the angels, not even Jesus himself knew the time. It's up to the Father only. I want, I want you to think about something I think is very deep on that very point. You just consider it. Why did Jesus not know? He's a third member of the Trinity. He's perfect. He's been with God from the beginning. And he says to his disciples, I don't know when that time is. Remember, he was on earth living with his disciples. I want to suggest something to you. That Jesus... When he left heaven and came to earth as a baby, gave up his total rights to complete knowledge, he became as any other person. He agreed to self-limitation. When Jesus lived on earth, he lived as a man. The scripture says that he was tempted in all points as you and I are tempted. He had to learn. He had to go to school. The scripture says that he increased in knowledge and in wisdom and in favor with God and man. He increased. Why did he increase? Because he had to grow from a baby up. He was a man. He self-limited himself to the confines of mankind's capabilities. When he died on the cross, he died as a man would die. He had the choice to sin or not to sin. His choice was to remain faithful. He could have sinned had he desired to do so, And had he done so, he would have lost the capability of being our Savior. But he had that choice. And God allowed Satan to tempt him to the very nth degree in his life to make absolutely sure that he was deciding in his own mind and heart to be faithful. It was the man Jesus who suffered. He self-limited himself. So he did not know honestly when that time was. He had to pray to God for strength. He inquired of him as to why the cup wouldn't pass from him. He begged for another way to save the world and all of those things because he was man. God came down and put Jesus in the flesh and limited himself. Therefore, he didn't know. You think about that. All right, let's go on. Verse 37. He talks about as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Everything going to be just like it was in Noah's day. They were uh, marrying and giving in marriage. They were doing everything. Business was going on as normal in the days of Noah until the flood came. Nobody was concerned about anything. They did not understand. They did not want to understand until the door of the ark was shut and the waters began to flow. And then they started begging for entrance, but the door was already shut. Jesus is making it very clear that when God calls the end, that will be the end. There will be no opportunity beyond that moment in time to be saved. Up until that moment, whoever... Will call on the name of the Lord, can be saved. But when God sends his son forth, and we've already seen in prior messages from this chapter that his coming will be just like lightning, in a moment's time he will be here, and when that time has come, the judgment day is here. The door was shut. No difference how people pleaded to get in. Nobody got in because God shut the door. When that time comes and God shuts the door, it will make no difference how much man pleads. He still won't get in. And that's what he told us about in the parable of the wedding. When the bridegroom came and took his bride into the wedding feast and there were five very foolish people. Who did not have any oil in their lamps and went out looking and searching? And when they got back to the wedding feast, the door was already shut. Now I want you to notice another problem that interests me, and I hope those of you who are Bible students you'll take consideration of it. There in verse forty and forty one, there shall be two in the field; one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be grinding at the mill; one taken, the other left. Now, years ago, that used to be one of the arguments that the Bible was infallible before we learned that the world was round. Because people used to think the sun shined over the entire earth all at the same time, and it was dark over the entire earth all at the same time. That was a fallacy in man, not a fallacy in the Bible. Everything that science has tried to disprove of the Bible has ended up being uh, Bible right and science wrong. Bible right and man wrong every time. There's never been an error discovered in God's Word. In God's Word. Now, beyond that, I want you to notice, however, he said two are going to be grinding at the mill, one's going to be taking the other left, two are going to be in the field, one taking the other left. I've preached it this way, and I suppose it makes good preaching, but it's, it's uh, contrary to what he's intending to teach here as if that, if that were the coming of the Lord for his church. And uh, one saved person is going to be taken up, one lost person is going to be left behind. As if we were having church here on Sunday morning and all the saved people would have suddenly ascend, and all the lost people would still be sitting here. If it was at home, the lost person would still be asleep in the bed and the saved person would ascend. The next morning the lost would get up and discover that. His or her mate was gone out of bed and did no know where, where he or she had gone to. And we've said that that is the time of the rapture of the church. The one is going to be taken to the other left. Out in the field, two men are going to be working. One's going to be ascending to heaven. One's going to be left behind on earth. But I want you to notice, he's talking about not the rapture of the church. He's talking about his coming again. Therefore, he couldn't have meant that. Is that a shock? What did he mean? I think the opposite is true as to who's going to be taken who's going to be left. He's talking about, well, let's, let's use the parallel of the flood, which he has just given us. One was saved and one was lost. One was taken. One was taken by the flood. One was saved by the ark. Or put it in another term, <coughs> uh, one is, well, if I can read my writing, I made a note that I want to definitely read to you. Yeah, here's the way I want to put it. One is taken to judgment. One is left to enter the kingdom a total different concept than what we usually think of. One taken to judgment. One left to enter the kingdom. A thousand year reign. You think about that a little bit. Now, look at verse 43, 44. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known what time the thief was going to come, he would have been up watching. If you knew somebody was going to rob your house, and you knew he was going to come between midnight and 3 o'clock, you'd be sitting there between midnight and 3 o'clock waiting for it. Wouldn't you? I would. I would be prepared and my gun probably would be trained right on the front door waiting for him to walk through. That's what I would do if I knew. The trouble is that those thieves never tell me when they're coming. You ever had your house broken into, and things taken? Any of you? Have, you ever had? Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you be ready for it? The answer is you didn't know when he would coming. The same thing is true. Why aren't we ready for the Lord? The answer is we don't know when he's coming, and therefore we're sort of lackadaisical. We think, oh well, it's not going to be today. The plea is to the lost. While you have opportunity, now is the time to get ready. You don't, as my grandfather used to say, lock the barn door after the horse was stolen. You lock the barn door first. There's many people who go by locks after their house is broken into. Too late then. We should have bought the locks first. Our preparation For the end time needs to be now while we have opportunity and we know that it's going to happen. Well, let's look at one thing further before we quit. That's verses 45 through 51. It talks about a faithful and a wise servant servant can be considered the same as a slave. I was at Monticello several years ago, which is the home of Thomas Jefferson, and I was told when I was there that the slaves of Thomas Jefferson loved him enough that they would oftentimes unhitch the horse from the carriage down at the bottom of the hill, and they personally would pull the carriage on the hill to demonstrate their love for him. If we are the kind of servant of Jesus Christ that we ought to be, we would be the ones who would do the same for Jesus. That we would not hitch the horse at the bottom of the hill and we'd pull him up because we love him. He doesn't ask us to do that. But the point that, he, that the Lord is making here, that he expects his servants to be accountable for their actions. How accountable are we? How prepared are we for his coming? It should make no difference to us whether he comes today or tomorrow if we're ready. But i we ready. If the Lord came tonight and the shout were made Coming. It would be too late to do anything about it. But what it go through our minds, oh dear. There's a whole bunch of things I should have done before he got here. Or I was prepared to say, I'm glad to see you, Lord. That's something that we have to answer on our own. Let me close with this little story written by William Barclay who is a theologian in England. I have some of his books and Judy I'll only some a couple of his books I think he's a good writer he said the story is told of a fable of uh, the devil quizzing some of his apprentice devils that he was sending to earth and he asked them a question so what they would do upon earth to uh, convince people to stay away from God, not believe in Christ, and so on. One devil said, I'll tell them that there's no God. Another devil said, I'll tell them there's no hell. And the third one said, I'll tell them there's no hurry. The old devil said, you're the one I'm going to see Because people will not believe you if they say there's no God. If you say there's no God. People will not believe you if you say there's no hell because people are smart enough to know there is a God. There is a hell. But people will believe you if you tell them there's no use getting in a hurry man. Don't get in a hurry. Just wait and delay. If you haven't been in a hurry, maybe it's time that you get in a hurry and prepare your life. Right now for the second coming, or for the, the rapture of the church, maybe for the second coming, if you're not saved. If you're not a Christian, you're invited this evening to accept him as Lord and Savior. In you know that you might be prepared either for the rapture, which is the next immediate thing, or if you miss the rapture, you might be prepared for the second coming.